The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 and 5. We begin with the Dow riding a six-day win streak as investors brace for another batch of big bank earnings. Futures right now are flat to just a bit under pressure. And finish line in sight. Microsoft reportedly looking for some last-minute insurance as its Activision deal deadline, it draws closer and some are talking, some are striking as a wave of worker unrest threatens to throw a wrench into the U.S. economic recovery. Plus, the latest streaming service that says it's raising prices. And later, another company reportedly looks to diversify its supply chain away from China. It is Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you so much for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow riding a six-session win streak. Taking a look right now, we're seeing the futures basically flat, just slightly under pressure this morning. Investors are bracing for the latest batch of big bank results before the opening bell today. That includes Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. Looking at these stocks in the pre-market right now, we're seeing B of A up a half a percent, Morgan Stanley up over a percent, Charles Schwab also reporting up over 2%. So it's been a tale of two stocks in 2023 with Morgan Stanley up one and a half percent so far this year and 14 and a half percent from its 52 week high that it hit just back in February. B of A is actually down 11 percent this year and 24 percent from a 52 week high. It hit back in November of 2022. So a lot to watch when it comes to big bank earnings. We're also checking the bond market this morning, looking at yields. Of course, we always start with the benchmark 10-year. We're seeing those yields decline just a few basis points from yesterday. This morning at 3.76. We're also seeing the short end of the curve still elevated, the inverted yield curve, something that everybody continues to watch. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil. Now, we are seeing oil just tick just a bit to the upside this morning as crude levels here in the U.S. and supplies they appear to be tightening just a bit, according to the latest data. We're seeing WTI crude at 74.35, up a quarter of a percent. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark of fractionally. The biggest movement, natural gas, up over 2%. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Microsoft is reportedly in talks about extending the deadline to close its $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard, which is set to expire today. The expiration of the contract would not automatically kill the deal. It would just open a window for either party to walk away. Now, in seeking an extension, sources tell Reuters it would ensure that Activision is not, quote, wooed by another potential suitor. Now, ahead of that, new disclosures from Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway reveal the company has cut its stake in Activision to just under 2% from more than 6% back in March. Reuters is reporting the CEOs of Intel, Qualcomm, and NVIDIA met with top Biden administration officials yesterday on issues of China and supply chains. 
State Department sources tell Reuters National Economic Council Director Lil Brainerd and National Security Council Director Jake Sullivan were among the t- attendees. And this coming, as Bloomberg reports, the White House is finalizing its plans to restrict new foreign investments in China with a narrow focus on cutting-edge technologies like AI and quantum computing. The new rules reportedly will not go into effect until next year. And for the first time since its 2020 debut, NBC Universal's Peacock is hiking monthly prices effective August 17th for existing users and immediately for new users. The price of Peacock Premium with ads will go up by $1 to $5.99 a month, and the Premium Plus plan without ads will rise by $2 to $11.99 a month. NBC Universal is the parent company of CNBC. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, turning back to the markets, as the markets prepare to enter the thick of the earnings season, many investors are also looking to put their money back to work in the credit market. A new survey from Bank of America showing concerns about an economic downturn fell to the lowest level since the early stages of the Fed rate hiking cycle last year. Then at the same time, July cash levels, they're currently sitting at 26 percent. That's down from 35 percent. That is marking lows not seen in two years, as we see improvements in credit quality expectations among high-yield investors. For more on this and the broader markets, let's bring in David Waddell, CEO and Chief Investment Strategist at Waddell & Associates. David, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right, so we're just seeing there there's more money coming into the markets than we've seen in the last two years. What about you? I know you have about uh, 1,000 high-net-worth net, uh, high individuals that you advise on their portfolios. Are you telling them to get more cash off the sidelines and put more of that back in the markets? Well, we already have. Um, what's interesting about, you know, there's chatter about Goldman's recession probability coming down to 20 percent. Um, talk about whether it'll be a soft landing. Maybe there's a hard landing out there. It's already happened, Right. We had six percent GDP growth in 2021. We've been at one percent since. And inflation's come down from nine to three percent. The Fed isn't leading inflation. They're following inflation. So the whole complex is coming down, wages, et cetera. And so as deflation or disinflation takes root, which has happened on average, markets return three times more than during inflationary environments. So there are places in the market that maybe have run a little far, but there are a whole lot of other places in this market, the non-S&P, where the PEs are very reasonable and we're probably slipping into expansion, not recession. All right, David, so I'm going to push back on you for a bit. So I I think everybody agrees that the market is expanding. We saw uh, industrials and and consumer discretionary hit a 52-week high yesterday talking about sectors. But you're saying there's spots outside of the S&P where the, the, uh, the valuations are more attractive and you see more upside opportunities. So please be specific. Are, is there certain sectors or certain stocks? What are you looking at? Well, the first half of the year was all about hype and the return of optimism. And that accrued to the benefit of the mega stocks, the magnificent seven they've been called. The other stocks didn't really participate, right? So there's a 10% spread between the S&P cap weighted and the equal weight. I mean, the the cubes are up, what, 40%? So it's possible that all those stocks go up another 40%. But here's a spoiler alert. If you look at the mega seven, the magnificent seven, and you look at forward earnings, five of them have earnings growth rates anticipated to be less 
okay. than the earnings growth rate overall for so, the S&P. So, so there David, are other I, ways I to play. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But is there one sector that you're looking at where you really see these opportunities? Because a lot of people talk about the valuation of the S&P 493 being about 20 times when you look at the mega cap, Magnificent 7, whatever you call it, 30 times. So what's attractive when you look at that 20 times for P.E.? What areas do you see the biggest upside? Well, financials have been beat up, right? And and in the financials, the XLF, if you will, 25% of that is banks, 75% is other stuff. So it'll be very interesting to see what we get out of Schwab and Morgan Stanley, et cetera, if the, the, the negative GDP sort of chatter is behind us and positive GDP chatter is ahead of us and rates are coming down, then that could accrue to the benefit of earnings within financials. So, okay. so far this month, they're up about twice what the S&P is, maybe a trade, not an investment, but there's opportunity there. I All think. right. So you, you like the financials. Speaking of that, we're in the middle of earnings season. We do have two of those big banks reporting later. I want to bounce this off of you. The forecast for this quarter is an 8% decline year over year in earnings. But so far, earnings are almost 11 percent above estimates. What does that tell you about the market? And maybe even more importantly, what does that tell you about the economy? Well, I think there's a difference between government, economy and companies. Right. And companies have had two years to prepare for a recession that never came. And so they've done a lot to trim payrolls, to restructure. And so you'll see these earnings surprises. We had a big earnings surprise number last quarter, a big one this quarter. And so you're right. Earnings may be negative to the quarter, but it's not reality that makes markets move. It's the difference between reality and expectations. And with low expectations right now, as you're saying, reality coming in above that, that's rally fuel. And as you said, some of the cash is coming back to work, but there's still $5.5 trillion on the sidelines looking for rates of return. And as money market rates come down over the next 12 months, it's going to make people more interested in the stock market. There's just plenty of rally fuel out there. All right, David Waddell, it is great to see you. Another Philadelphia guy like myself. Thanks for coming on. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Apollo Global Chief Economist, Torsten Slock, he's here, weighing in on everything from the consumer to Jay Powell's next move. Plus, some are talking and some are striking as a wave of worker unrest threatens to throw a wrench into the U.S. economic recovery. And then later, what deflation in the world's second largest economy could mean for the markets and for your money. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. We have our Arabile Goumide standing by in our London newsroom with much more on both Arabile. Good morning. Great to see you. 
Yeah, good morning, Frank. So it's a marginally bro uh, positive uh, trading day then across Europe in particular. One takes a look at some of these stocks and you'll see that there are gains, but it is only slight. The FTSE MIB as well as the DAX only inching into the green. So to the CAC 40 out in France, the SMI uh, and the uh, really the big gain of their three quarters of a percent with the IBEX perhaps the only one dipping into negative territory. Very key to look out for Novartis in terms of earnings numbers. Then they came out with the uh, raising of their full year guidance. Then that's on the back of higher operating incomes uh, on that front. They've also decided to uh, spin off as well as list their generic uh, medicines division, that being Sandoz, plus they've put in place a $15, uh, $15 billion share buyback program, which is set to be completed by the end of 2025. So all of that to certainly look out for on the European front. Plus today we're expecting some inflation numbers, or tomorrow should I say we're expecting some inflation numbers out of the United Kingdom. All that could set the tone then for the Bank of England. Another 50 basis point hike is certainly anticipated from them after wage growth uh, was certainly on the up for the three months up until May. If we take a look very quickly into Asia, well, China has unfortunately missed its GDP estimates then today. That weighed a little bit on these stocks. You can see a pretty much mixed picture across the board here as well then. And many concerns then about whether China will need to put in a whole lot more impetus and stimulus then to boost up that economy. For now, these markets are a little lower with only the Nikkei heading higher. Frank? Arabile, great to see you as always. Our Arabile Gumade live in our London newsroom. Thank you very much. All right, turning back to the U.S., Hollywood may be generating a lot of headlines, but it's been a summer of labor unrest all around the country. Members of the Teamster Union plan to hold a practice picket today at a UPS facility in Michigan. UPS and the Teamsters have until July 31st to reach a contract deal and avoid the company's first strike since 1997, but those talks, they remain at a standstill. The group that re represents Hollywood Studios says it's offered actors more than $1 billion in higher wages and greater benefits before sag After went on strike last week. SAG issuing a detailed list of its proposals, including an 11% wage increase to offset inflation. And President Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders, they met with labor organizers from Starbucks, minor league baseball and others at the White House yesterday. The president tweeting they discussed their fight for better pay and benefits. Let's talk more about this now with James Pethokoukas, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute and a CNBC contributor. Jimmy P., it is always good to see you. Good morning. Ah, good morning. All right, let's just kind of get into this one. We're seeing just all across the board, different sectors, different unions looking for higher wages, better benefits. We've also seen wages increase when we look at recent jobs report. What does this all mean for the economy and for American companies? Well, you know, we've seen this sort of unusual spike in labor actions, and I think you can really trace it back to kind of a, an unusual set of macroeconomic circumstances. One, we have really low unemployment, so that's a tight labor market, a lot more worker power. But at the same time, uh, we've had, you know, declining real wages because of high inflation. That's turned around of late. Great news. Hope it continues. But the, but the notion of greater worker power and workers who have been very unhappy because their real wages have been going down, you know, it's no surprise we've been seeing some labor action and lots yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to focus on a couple of these different uh, instances of, of labor unrest. Let's start with UPS. That's kind of in my wheelhouse. The Teamsters looking for a, a better contract has turned a bit contentious. UPS has pushed back saying that they have, uh, you know, some of the highest wages and benefit packages for workers, you know, honestly, in logistics space right now. Um, where do you see that going, and what does that tell us about the labor movement here in the U.S.? And if we do see a strike from a company like a UPS, has so much, such a big impact on GDP, what does that do to the economy overall and maybe even some of these other labor issues? Well, we're sort of at the point 
Whereas I read things, at least the sentiment about the odds of a recession, which we've all been talking about the past couple of years, seem to be improving. Like you don't want any economic shocks, just as sentiments improving that maybe we're going to be able to you know, manage a soft landing here. I mean, I don't think something like that, you know, by itself certainly uh, is going to push us into a recession, though, you know, I'll, I'll take all the good news I can get. But again, that's a really good example of, 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 a, uh, of a situation where uh, people want higher wages. Again, they haven't been seeing real wage gains and they think they can get it because, you know, unemployment is super low. It gives them a lot of power. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's turn to Hollywood. One of the sticking issues there is just a change in business model when it comes to streaming. Also, the, po- the possible disruption of artificial intelligence. Is that going to become a bigger issue when we talk about labor and companies here in the U.S. going forward? I, I think if, we, if we're in for a period of, of better wage growth, I think that kind of takes some of the edge off those other kinds of labor problems. But I think the issue of technology, and those are two good examples, one, streaming that's a new kind of technology and then ai which i do not believe is going away that is going to create the these issues i think throughout the economy and especially for the kinds of workers who haven't thought a lot about automation much less ai uh ever and that that's knowledge workers what's different now is that because of generative ai chat gpt mid-journey dolly it's those workers whether or not those those uh threats are actually gonna you know play out and there's going to be mass unemployment. They are concerned, and those concerns are not going to go away. So I think this is going to be an ongoing issue. All right. So what about for investors? Uh, we just mentioned President Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders meeting with some different labor groups at the White House yesterday. At the same time, we heard the president of the Teamsters says he doesn't want the White House to intervene at all. So for investors, what's the biggest risk going forward when it comes to all this? How should they prepare possibly for some of these disruptions? Listen, I think my... I, Listen, if, if the reason people are striking is because the economy is too good, uh, I'll take that as an investor. My bigger concern is kind of a pushback uh, against automation and AI across a broad range of industries. If we're right and AI is a general purpose technology that's going to affect a variety of sectors, you're going to see a variety of highly educated workers who know how to work the system pushing back against AI. Listen, we've been in a long-term productivity slump. We need uh, AI both to you know automate some jobs, create new jobs, make people more productive. This economy needs that. So at least like longer term, I'm very concerned about the kind of pushback against technology that we've seen with trade. All right, Jim Fethakoukas, always great to see you. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, a new luxurious club from one high-end department store, a lottery drawing hitting historic highs, and the man known as Machete doesn't mince words when it comes to the ongoing actor strike. We have your morning's top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Investors are awaiting a slew of economic data this morning, including June retail sales out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Economists are expecting sales to rise by 0.6% from May. 
That would mark the third consecutive month of gains as persistent strength in consumer spending has weighed on the Fed's fight to stamp out inflation. City saying June's growth will be driven by car and restaurant sales while spending at home improvement and clothing stores. That could be relatively weak. All this despite a cooler than expected June CPI report last week, prompting Goldman Sachs to cut its probability of a U.S. recession from 25 percent to 20 percent just yesterday. Let's talk more about this with Torsten Slock, partner and chief economist at Apollo Global Management. Torsten, good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Good morning, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. All right, let's get right into it. Do you agree with Goldman's assessment that the chance of a recession has lowered? And what's leading you to believe what you believe about the recession odds? Well, I think the important issue here is that the Fed is in the process of cooling the economy down. So it's not surprising that since they started raising interest rates in March of 2022, we have started to see consumer spending slow down, in particular those components of consumption that are sensitive to interest rates going up. So that's also what we should see in the data today, a continuation of a slowing in consumer spending. We have had a very significant deterioration in one of the leading indicators for retail sales, namely same-store sales, which for the last year have gradually becoming weaker and weaker. So I do not agree that the recession probability is as low as 20%. The consensus thinks that the recession probability is closer to 60 65%. So with the process still of the Fed hiking interest rates, and we are seeing not only consumption, also business spending. We're also seeing, broadly speaking, GDP gradually slowing. We still have the lack effects of monetary policy ahead of okay. us. So the short answer is there's still some risk to the downside that the breaking distance ahead of us for the next several quarters could still bring some slowdown in the broader economic data. So you gave us the consensus. Goldman says 20 percent. Where do you stand individually? So I would say that the probability, I think that we are around 60% still of a harder landing or of a recession. Really? Remember also that GDP growth slowing is a very important ingredient of what the Fed is trying to achieve to get inflation back to 2%. Remember core CPI that came out last week came in at 4.8. And the Fed has the goal that inflation should be 2 So yes, inflation is gradually coming down. Okay. But as all FMC members are saying, there's still quite a long way. Well, Torsten, you're just leading me to my next question. What's your opinion on the Fed? Uh, The consensus is we're going to see a hike in July in just a couple days from now. Do you believe that might push just too far? And if so, uh, what happens after that if these hikes are just overshooting the Fed's target? No, Frank, that's right. So I do think that they will hike here in July. But the challenge for them is at the moment is that they say that they are data dependent which means that they are backward looking. But at the same time, they also say that the effects of monetary policy take 12 to 18 months. So there's almost an inconsistency between saying, well, we have not done enough. And then at the same time say, but we don't really know yet what the effects are of what we have done. So in that sense, I still think that the data will continue to weaken over the next several quarters. And that still raises the elevate, elevates the probability of a recession here over the coming quarters. All right, Torsten, I imagine a lot of your clients are looking at these bank earnings coming up today and uh, throughout the week. Um, what's your expectation for the, for the bank earnings and what is it going to tell us about the economy and also the direction of the markets? Yeah, this is a really important question because banks are a very critical indicator of where the economy is. We have seen so far bank earnings be a little bit better than expected, but bank earnings so far have mainly been on the bigger banks. Remember, the smaller, the regional banks make up 40% of assets in the banking sector and 30% of lending. So in that sense, when we get the regional banks and we hear from them what's going on with their deposits, what's going on with their lending, lending to consumers, to corporates, to real estate, we get a little bit better idea about where we are going. But the conclusion is, if you look at the weekly data that comes from the Fed, 
we have seen a very pronounced slowing in lending, both from small banks and from large banks. So from a macro perspective, the banks are a critical input into the discussion of how quickly is the economy slowing up? How quickly are rate hikes biting? And the risk is, in our view, that we are still in the process of slowing and we will therefore also see more negative data on the macro front and therefore, broadly speaking, also more data that suggests that the economy continues to to, to go run down the runway right. and the breaking distance just continues to be longer than anticipated. All right. Well, we will be watching those bank earnings coming up later today and later this week. Torsten Slock of Apollo Global Management, thank you for coming on. We appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, Frank. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, BlackRock making some big moves as it doubles down on its Middle East strategy. We'll have much more on this story after this break. Stay with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead right here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stock seeking some fresh momentum this morning after kicking the new trading week off in the green. Futures in a bit of a holding pattern ahead of the open. The latest round of bank results likely to be one of the main drivers for investors today. Bank of America and Morgan Stanley both on tap. We tee you up with what you need to watch in those numbers. And another tech titan reportedly looking to become the latest company to pivot production away from China. It is Tuesday, July the 18th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up a half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After the Dow nods, it's six straight day of gains. Looking at futures right now, as we mentioned, kind of just stuck, just kind of flat this morning. We're seeing the Dow just fractionally higher. We're seeing the S&P and the Nasdaq just fractionally lower. We'll continue to watch this morning. We're also looking at the bond market. That's where we're seeing more action overall. Of course, we start with the benchmark tenure at 3.76, well off its highs of 4.09 just a week ago or so. Similar movement when it comes to the short end of the curve. The two-year, it was up above the yield, up above 5% just about a week ago now at 4.7%. Again, something we continue to watch. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Savannah now has those. Savannah? Hey, Frank. Well, HP is reportedly working to shift production of its PCs away from China. Nikkei reporting that the company is looking to make the move to both Thailand and Mexico as soon as this year. The report adds HP is also planning to shift some laptop production to Vietnam starting next year. HP released a statement on its website revealing it is expanding its existing operations in Southeast Asia and elsewhere. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong is heading to Capitol Hill. Armstrong is set to meet with House Democrats tomorrow morning to discuss legislation around crypto. He's been a vocal advocate for lawmakers to create clearer rules around digital assets. Armstrong's meeting comes as Coinbase, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, faces a lawsuit by the SEC. And BlackRock naming Saudi Aramco CEO to its board of directors. The asset manager says the addition of Amin Nasser reflects its emphasis on the Middle East as a part of its long-term strategy. Nasser has held the top position at Aramco since 2015 and oversaw the public listing of the oil company back in 2019, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. You got it. All right, to our other top story this morning, investors bracing for another batch of big bank earnings before the opening bell. Includes Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and Charles Schwab. Morgan Stanley expected to get hit hard by a slowdown in deal-making amid rising costs of financing, with analysts forecasting a slide in both earnings and in revenue. 
On the flip side, profits at Bank of America are expected to rise by 11 percent compared to a year ago, with particular attention to its bond portfolio, which recorded a $99 billion loss in the first quarter of this year. Joining me now is JMP Securities Director of Financial Technology Research, Devin Ryan. Devin, good morning. Great to see you. Morning, Frank. All right, let's look ahead. We're going to talk about the whole banking sector. Let's look ahead to the two big ones today. We're talking Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. What are you expecting from these? Do you expect the reports and the outlook to be as bad as some people fear? You know, I, I think they're going to be messy. Um, you know, bank earnings have started on, I think, a reasonable note because there haven't been big surprises. Um, you know, net interest income stories, I think, for most, and we'll probably see that going forward for these other banks, are going to be um, relatively constructive. Uh, credit has not really been an issue yet, but you still have macro uncertainty moving forward. For, for uh, the banks that are reporting today, uh, I think the capital market story for me is kind of the key piece here because we've been in the doldrums for 18 months. And our position is we're about to get on the other side of that. We're going to get some green shoots. So you're not going to see it in results, but I think that's going to be a big part of what's going to get some of these stocks going, especially Morgan Stanley and then Goldman Sachs reporting tomorrow. Um, you know, seeing businesses like equity underwriting and M&A starting okay. to see some signs of life. And just one stat for you, you know, to see a recovery back to just what I would call normal, a trend line for M&A volumes need to increase about 50 percent. And for equity issuance, they need to increase 70 percent. So that gives you a sense of how bad it's been for the last 18 wow. months. And I think where we could go when we recover here. Yeah, I mean, we certainly have seen a bit of a resurgence. We've seen some IPOs. We have seen some deals being made out there on the market. So I also want to talk to you about something that a lot of people are really focused on, the impact of, of rising rates. So small, small and regional banks, they got in trouble from the rising rates. Is there any more danger when it comes to the big banks, especially with another hike expected in July and then maybe even another one this year? Yeah, I think the most acute stress is behind us. You know, I really wish we saw something done on uninsured deposits. We really haven't completely resolved that uncertainty. But you know, our view is that we're getting into the late innings here of this cash sorting theme, which is where customers move their cash towards higher yielding options. They're never going to move all of their cash because they need banks uh, for operational uses. They need brokerages uh, where they, you know, they have their money in an account like Schwab, and they'll have some level of cash to buy stocks. And so we're getting to the tail end of that piece of cash that's actually yield-seeking moving. And so if rates go up another 25 or 50 basis points, we're not all that concerned because rates have now been high for a sufficient period of time where people would have moved their money if it was yield seeking. So I do think we're getting late innings at, and that's going to be a big part of the investment thesis, I think, as you look out into the okay. back half of this year and early next year on a number of these stocks. All right, Devin, let's get to the fun part. Uh, of the companies reporting today, we're talking again, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Schwab, counting that financial trio right there. What's your top pick? Which one are you expecting to see the big, the best report today, at least from? Well, I would, it's, it's going to be a little bit messy. So um, I think they're all going to be, uh, you know, kind of tough here. But the, the top pick is uh, Schwab. And the reason being is that they are going to have a tough report, but they guided down a few weeks ago for the second quarter. And so our concern was that uh, the negative guidance wasn't in the numbers yet. Now that's out there because the company actually told us. So that's a big deal. And I think it's going to help them today. And then on top of that, this theme of cash sorting, which we were just talking about, um, I think for Schwab is finally starting to abate. And that's been really the big overhang, and I think it's made it difficult to invest in. We get on the other side of that, and then Schwab becomes very investable, uh, and I think you're going to see evidence of that today. And you know, think about normalized earnings power for Schwab. We think they can generate you know, north of $5.50. So that implies the stock's trading at roughly 10 times, just a little bit over that on normalized earnings. Um, you know, we think an appropriate okay. multiple is probably mid-teens or even higher for them. So that implies 
you know, a lot of upside from here. So that would be the one I would highlight today. Seems like the market agrees with you. Schwab shares up over 2% in the pre-market. Devin Ryan, always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Good seeing you. And on the back of this morning's bank results, be sure to tune in to CNBC for a number of high-profile interviews, including exclusive conversations with Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman at 10.30 a.m. and Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan at 2.30 p.m. And Charles Schwab CEO Walt Bettinger will join us at 11 a.m. All right, turning now to Washington. we got AI on the docket for lawmakers today. Member of Congress, uh, members of Congress set to meet with one of the industry's key voices as they try to craft new regulations around the red-hot tech. Our Emily Wilkins sat down with him ahead of his trip to Capitol Hill and joins us now with what he plans to tell lawmakers. Emily, good morning. Well, good morning, Frank. Well, yeah, as D.C. tries to figure out how to regulate artificial intelligence, lawmakers are paying close attention to one 26-year-old who is already a leader in AI and has an urgent message for the government. Alexander Wang, the billionaire CEO of Scale AI, is in Congress today testifying at a hearing on AI on the battlefield before speaking at the first joint meeting of a Democrat and a Republican group of lawmakers. His company hires people to ensure the data AI models use is accurate. Wang told me his message to lawmakers is that if the U.S. doesn't hurry on regulations and boost its investment in AI, other countries will take the lead. There are other countries who are pushing forward AI regulations, AI governance frameworks, um, and are pushing forward on investment into artificial intelligence very aggressively. China is on track to spend more than three times what the United States will over the next year in artificial intelligence. And so we need to be moving quickly. One thing Wang says Congress can do in the near term is pass a major national security bill with dozens of provisions to further adopt AI. We need to ensure that we enact the new NDAA. We need to ensure that we actually move forward in being able to drive innovation rather than uh, watching, potentially watching our adversaries move forward with that, uh, ahead of us. The bill's feature was thrown into jeopardy last week after Republicans added a controversial amendment on abortion. The bill narrowly passed the House, and now the Senate could vote on their version of the bill as soon as this week. Frank? So, Emily, how much progress has Congress made at this point when it comes to artificial intelligence? Well, at this point, everything is pretty much in early stages. We've seen a framework come uh, from Senate Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He wants that to be a bipartisan effort. We're also seeing House Leader Kevin McCarthy also try and take up a bipartisan effort. That one's a little more below the radar. At the same point, you are seeing the White House come out with an AI Bill of Rights. You're seeing the Pentagon come out with AI ethics. And Wang tells me that all of these are really good efforts to start with, but he really does kind of mention that urgency that is needed at this time for the U.S. to make sure that they are getting into this space, that they are putting out regulations, and that they're kind of making their mark on the international stage as to what the standards need to be when it comes to AI. You know, really interesting. By the way, 26 years old. I mean, just like what perspective and already a billionaire, I believe. Um, Have any members of Congress, speaking of the urgency, have they already talked to him about his testimony or some of his concerns yet? So he's been on the Hill a number of times. I mean, today will be very interesting because it is his, he's going to be testifying, so obviously taking a lot of questions in public from lawmakers. But he has sat down with both the Republican and Democratic heads of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's had a lot of talks with Congressman Mike Gallagher, who's heading today's committee, as well as the Select Committee 
on China. And so definitely some very influential figures who he has the ear of. And when I talk to these members about his influence, they say, look, we're hearing from a lot of folks on AI. The great thing about Alex Wang is that he can sort of merge the AI world with the national security world. And they really appreciate that perspective. All right. Emily Wilkins, live in D.C. Emily, great reporting as always. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the new economic worries bubbling around China and the potential risk of deflation that some say are taking shape. But first, as we had to break, we got some of your top trending stories. With no winners in last night's Powerball drawing, tomorrow's jackpot is now soaring to more than $1 billion and what could be the third largest prize in that game's history. The jackpot was last hit on April 19th, though the game has had seven players who've won at least a million bucks in the last week. Luxury department store Harrods will open its first private members club in Shanghai later this year, targeting ultra-high net worth individuals. The new facility will have a Gordon Ramsay restaurant a bar, a lounge, private dining rooms, and a terrace for its members. And back in Hollywood, our Julia Borston caught up with actor Danny, Danny Trejo yesterday to get his take on AI's impact on streaming in an interview. Our own Melissa Lee described as, quote, one of the most colorful interviews ever to grace the CNBC airwaves. We are back after this one. I'm worried about regular intelligence. You know, now it's like they're going to like, that means they can use our image or our for whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like, so now residuals have basically slowing down. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Give us a piece of that pie, too. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We'll begin with Evercore downgrading its rating on Shopify from outperform to inline. It says the risk reward outlook on the stock looks to be less compelling and it sees very few catalysts going forward. Take a look at shares of Shopify this morning down almost one and a half percent. A different story from Evercore on Pinterest. It's upgrading its rating and price target to outperform and up to 41 bucks per share. It cites in part evidence of digital ad spend stabilizing and operational improvements under the company's new CEO. Taking a look at shares of Pinterest this morning, they are up more than 3%. And A.B. Bernstein raising its rating on United Health to outperform. It cites what it calls attractive valuation, potential for hardening pricing next year, and Attractive long-term growth in value-based care. Taking a look at shares of UNH. They are actually down in the pre-market, but just fractionally. And it's time now for your global briefing. A check on the headlines dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We start with shares of Novartis. They're popping in overseas trading after it announced a $15 billion share buyback. The Swiss pharmaceutical giant is also raising its outlook for the year on the back of strong second quarter sales. China's Evergrande unveiling for the first time the scale of its financial losses stemming from a 2021 default that triggered a larger property crisis in that country. The developer, which is in the middle of a massive restructuring process, reported a more than $80 billion combined loss for 2021 and for last year. We're sticking with China. A new warning on the rising risk of deflation in that country. Grow Investment Group's chief economist saying now is the time for leaders to act to ease deflationary pressure following a string of bad economic reports. The People's Bank of China has pushed back on the idea the country is facing deflation risk. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus Jenny Harrington, she's here. She lays out a busy trading day ahead and the under-the-radar stocks high on her shopping list. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this break.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at some live shots from all around the world. We're looking at London, the trading day just getting underway there, Hong Kong, kind of the end of the day there, New York, where we are, and Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. A lot of action in D.C. when it comes to unions and also chip CEOs. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So, as a matter of fact, we want to introduce you to our WEX wrap-up, a look at stories that you need to know before the opening bell. We begin. With Microsoft reportedly in talks about extending the deadline to close its $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard, which is set to expire today, taking a look at shares of both companies down in the pre-market. Ahead of that, new disclosures from Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway reveal the company has cut its stake in Activision to just under 2%. Reuters is reporting the CEOs of some top chip companies, they met with Biden administration officials yesterday on issues of China and supply chains. Among the attendees were NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong, and National Security Council Director Jake Sullivan. And for the first time since its 2020 debut, NBC Universal's Peacock is hiking monthly prices. Those changes take effect uh, August 17th for existing users and immediately for new users. We're also looking at shares of AT&T. They are bouncing back in the pre-market up over a half a percent after they closed at their lowest level since 1993. And California's Supreme Court ruling that Uber must face a lawsuit in that state claiming it should have covered Uber Eats drivers' work-related expenses. A lawyer for Uber says the company is weighing its appeal options on that matter. We're also getting you ready for the trading day ahead. Earnings likely to be a key driver for the markets with results expected from Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab, PNC Financial, Lockheed Martin, Bank of New York Mellon, and J.B. Hunt Transport. As for the economy, retail sales and industrial production figures and the latest Home Builder Confidence Index, we will also hear from Fed Vice Chair for Supervision, Michael Barr, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. All right, futures are seeking just a bit of direction ahead of those latest earnings and economic data points. Taking a look at futures this morning, still relatively flat, although we have seen the Dow spike up just a bit now in the pre-market. And despite the Dow riding a six-day win streak and the Russell 2000 coming off a more than 1% gain, Big tech, that continues to be a driving force with the XLK tech sector tracking ETF coming off a fresh record high. Consumer and industrial stocks also seeing some love recently with those sectors hovering right around their 52-week highs. But even as the rally broadens, Fundstrat is seeing some technical signs of it slowing. And a new note saying in part, uptrend looks to be nearing an area of possible resistance this week. Expect a rally on the S&P 500 of 45.45 to 45.75, and that could mark resistance and allow for a minor pullback to get underway. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Jenny Harrington, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Jenny, always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. So what do you make of that? Fundstrat saying that we might be hitting an area of resistance. Do you see that same potential when you look at the technicals yourself? I do. And that's why I was looking to the side. I'm like, oh, shoot, where exactly did the S&P close last night? Um, But I think that that's right. And I think what we've got is we just have a pretty rich valuation right now that's totally in line with if we've talked about before how inflation and market valuations are highly correlated right now, where we are in the inflation um, cycle is total uh, 19, 20 times multiple is completely appropriate. If we think that it's going to be hard for S&P earnings to get above 240, you just don't have much room on the upside. So that sounds really plausible and accurate to me. All right. With that in mind, Jenny, got to ask you, what is your WEX word of the day? I'm so excited about this part. All right. I came up with mercurial. And by the way, it took me like all day to think of a good word. I didn't want to disappoint for my first word of the day. But mercurial means subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. And I think that as we enter earnings season, that's what we're going to see. 
All right. So we all, we're all about investable moves for today, Jenny. So I know you have some stock picks for us, but I also want to touch on tech just for a second. We don't want to dwell on this too long. Mm-hmm. XLK hitting uh, an all-time high just yesterday. Do you believe that big tech has more room to run? And then get into your picks after that. Okay, I don't think so. And you had a guest on earlier who was talking about the number of the FANG stocks that actually have earnings growth rates beneath that of the S&P. And I think that that's really going to come into play. But actually, the reason that I chose Mercurial, too, has to do with big tech. And if we think about Meta, which falls into that big tech group and is up 250 percent, let's flash back to nine months ago, not even right November, when the stock was trading at eighty eight dollars. Fast forward, we're up 251%. And let's think about what's changed in that time period. Meta is not a company that's changed and improved by 250%. It's not like suddenly earnings or the company are that much better. What's changed is investor perception. And what we need to remember is that investors, Mr. Market, as Ben Graham says, is a mercurial fellow. Depends on what mood he's in when he wakes up and what price he wants to pay. That's how investors are. And they might start to see some of these earnings and be like, well, Well, you know, gee, it's up 251%, up 300%, trading at 59 times or 30 times earnings. I don't want to pay this price All right, so earnings might be a bit meh. That's what you're saying. Earnings might be a bit meh, but what are you excited about? Give us a sense of what sectors, what stocks you're looking at. Okay. So you know me. I'm kind of a wimp, right? And I like to hide out. So what I want is I want stocks that are not subject to the market's mercurial mood. And what I've got for you is Crown Castle, which I added to the portfolio a couple weeks ago. It was down 5% um, yesterday on a downgrade, on an industry-wide downgrade by City. And what they own is they own cell towers and small cell networks, and they lease out fiber. They've historically grown earnings and revenues in the high single-digit range. Because of the Sprint T-Mobile merger, those earnings have come down a little bit. And all of the, um, I think, programmatic trading or really short-term oriented thought process has been like, oh, my God, earnings are slowing. They're down to 2 to 3%. That's temporary. They're going to return in a couple of years to high single-digit earnings growth again. And they deserve a premium for that. So right now you get this stock with a 5.7% yield. And they're just going to chunk along because okay. right now I'm calling in on AT&T service. It's necessary. <laughs> so um, kind, so kind that's a, one where I can hide out. That's yep. kind of a dividend play. That's a mm-hmm. bit of a dividend play. One of the other stocks is actually a REIT, uh, ticker PSTL. Why are you so excited about this one? <laughs> okay, because, again, I'm hiding out from the mercurial moods. But Postal, PSTL, is a small real estate investment trust that owns post offices. So they're backed by the full faith, uh, leases are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. There's no, like, oh, my God, commercial real estate, you know, is so scary here. This is really outside of that. And if you want to say, oh, well, post offices are really not um, relevant anymore, actually the entire infrastructure of package shipping and Amazon shipping is reliant on the backbone of that post office network. So they yeah. are essential. They do need to be there. Yeah, you um, know, and there you get a, a 6.3% yield. Maybe a very timely pick with the possibility of a UPS strike, as you mentioned. Amazon uses the post office <laughs> in addition to UPS. Good point. Jenny Harrington, it is great to see you as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 